Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Thanks, everyone. It's great to be here. I'm really excited. And I was only here just a f- maybe five weeks ago, was it? I lose count. But it's awesome to be back here seeing your smiling faces this morning. Um, I'm going to pray to kick us off, and then we're going to dive in to see what the Lord would say to us. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can gather here as a body of Christ. Lord, to receive from you, Lord, to be renewed by your spirit, Lord, to worship your great name, Lord, and to be refreshed by your word. And and we just invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come, Lord, to fall on each one of us, Lord, because we need you so badly, Lord, for everything, Lord, even to understand, Lord, the word that you've given it to us, Lord, we, we need you. So, Lord, we just invite you to come and refresh us and renew us, to restore us and to make our insides just excited, Lord, as your word comes into our hearts. So we just pray these things in Jesus' name and pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified this morning. Amen. Lovely. Cool. Well, once again, there are no surprises about which book I'm going to be preaching from. It's the book of Luke. We've been going through Luke as well um, over at Living Word Church, which is where I'm from. And it's been awesome at Living Word, and I'm sure you've been having just as much fun over here, just to dive into a book really deeply. You know, not superficially, not jumping over the bits we don't like, but just engaging with the Word of God and just seeing what it would say to us. Because the, the Gospels are full of, of just lots of little stories, these little just tidbits where someone encountered Jesus or, or Jesus gave a teaching or something. And, and, and we often miss these little things, but they're so rich and they're so powerful and they can speak so mightily to us and hit us right where we're at. So I'm trusting that the story we're going to be reading today is going to be one of those. Um, I'm going to just provide a little context because the section we've been going through in Luke, what well, you guys have been going through in Luke, chapter 18, has kind of got a number of stories, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to hopefully be able to show you guys how they're kind of connected today as well. So, we started off um, with, the, with the parable of the persistent widow right at the beginning of chapter 18. And it's this, this widow who, who is trying to get a judgment from this unjust judge. He's, he's a bad judge. He has no respect for anyone, not even God. And she has no basis upon which to get her judgment, but because she is persistent, He grants her a judgment. And at the end of that story, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Then the next story in this section is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you you have these two guys praying to God. You have this Pharisee who is saying, Lord, I'm great. I'm doing really good. Thank you that you're going to save me because I'm such a great guy. And you have this tax collector who's saying, Lord, I'm nothing. Please just have mercy on me. I need your mercy. And there's this amazing picture once again of, of, of needing God and, and crying out in faith. And Jesus says at the end of that story, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And next up we have these children who are being brought to Jesus. Jesus is hanging out and teaching and um, healing people. And, and these people are bringing Jesus, their babies, their little infants, like these tiny little babies, it says in the Greek. And, and the disciples are saying, hang on a second. You know, 
the babies. What, what's Jesus going to do for them? Yeah, just a nice little blessing. No, no, just forget about it. Get away. Jesus has got more important things to do. But Jesus rebukes them and he says, no, let these little children, these tiny babies come to me. Why? Because he said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little baby, will never enter it. Now the next story we have, I hope we're kind of dotting these down, we're going to go through it again. But the next story we have is the rich young ruler. It's that famous story of a guy who's done everything right, except for lay down that one part of his life that he can't submit to Jesus. And that's his finances. He's got all this wealth. He's amassed it all. He's kind of, it's his security. It's the thing that's, that's, that's propping him up. He's got his righteousness because he's done everything right. And then he's got his riches. And between those two things, he, he, he's pretty set. He's saying, Jesus, I've got to be good, right? I've got to be all set. I've got all these things just lined up nice and neat. My life is in great shape. And Jesus says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the, the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is a really crazy saying to us, right? And it's going to, ooh. But fortunately, he then goes on to say, but nothing is impossible with God. Amen. But um, right at the end of that story, he says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come in eternal life. Then after that, finally, then we finally get, we're getting close to the beggar now. Don't worry. After that, Jesus predicts his own death. He says, you know what? The Messiah, he's come. The Son of Man, he will be handed over to the Gentiles, shock horror to a Jewish audience, and and they're going to kill him. They're going to crucify him. But don't worry, on the third day, he'll be raised again. And the disciples once again say, come on, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't be stupid. We're not understanding you. You've got to be wrong. Forget about it. And so just before that, well, the next story even, is the blind beggar. So if you'll read with me, that would be great. It's chapter 18, starting in verse 35. So as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When Jesus heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. What an interesting story we have at the end of all this. It's kind of sandwiched in towards the end of this whole kind of package, or this whole big picture of, of, of what Jesus' interactions are going on at this stage. And you have this guy, this beggar, who's not just poor, but he's blind. He's destitute. He is in a hole. He is stuck there. He's got no hope. All he's got is his little 
vessel for collecting stuff in, and, and the, the kindness of strangers. That's all he's got left in the world. He has nothing. He is helpless, he is broke, and he is blind, which means he can't work, he can't find anything to do, he can't even see his loved ones. I mean, he is detached and separated and isolated, stuck on a hot road on the way to Jericho, which is a lucrative spot for beggars because the pilgrims heading to Jerusalem who would take that route would be kind of generous. But even still, he's stuck on a hot road, sat down, and this crowd goes by. He's like, well, what's going on? Why all the noise? Why all these people? Why is there this excitement in front of me as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem? And so he asks, he says, who is this guy? And they reply, Jesus of Nazareth. You can just imagine his excitement because the very next thing he says, it's almost like that finally moment. Like, finally, some hope is coming by my road. And he screams out, he shouts. Do you want me to shout it? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just imagine, he's shouting it. There are other beggars around. There's this whole crowd of people going in front of Jesus. It's this, this, it's this like just carnival, this cavalcade of people. Just this noise. And to cut through the noise, he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The thing is, though, he gets an equal and opposite reaction right back from the disciples, doesn't he? And they shout right back, be quiet. This is Jesus. Just forget about it. You're just another beggar. You have nothing to offer him. He doesn't want to give you money right now. He doesn't need you. Just, just stay, stay there. It's kind of sad, isn't it? That the disciples would respond like that, even after Jesus has shown them so many things about even the meat coming to him. But that doesn't stop the beggar. There's a faith and a persistence in his heart. He shouts even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this time Jesus hears him. And so he comes over. He says, what do you want? What do you want from me? And you can just imagine, if I was a beggar, I'd think, this is my shot. What do I do? Do I ask for a lot of money? Do I get a nice loaf of bread here like I usually would? Like normal other beggars? I mean, what do you think? I mean, he's blind. I would be kind of, I feel like I'd be kind of accepting of my circumstances perhaps, or I'd struggle to, to take that risk, but he takes such a huge leap and he goes right for the jugular. He doesn't hold back and he says, I want to see again. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that incredible? He has faith and he asks humbly, he asks meekly, but he says, Lord, in faith, I want to see again. It's kind of incredible that he would do that, I think. I don't know about you guys. And Jesus' response is just as awesome. He says, wow, your faith has made you well. And he sees. And he jumps up. And he's shouting even louder than before. And he's praising God. And he's shouting, hallelujah. And everyone goes crazy. Even the people that rebuked him a second ago jump up and they're shouting, praise God, this is awesome. Look at what just happened. It's an amazing, amazing story. And what we kind of have here in this story, a, a rural ingredients. And I thought I'd be kind of just fun to get pictorial for a second. 
And we kind of have raw ingredients, don't we? Here's a bowl, my ingredient bowl. Feel like I'm going to make a cake or something? This is no particular recipe, by the way. I just kind of grabbed it, any ingredients we had in the house. So there's nothing profound other than, other than the, the ingredients that we're doing here. But, but in a really amazing way, because the Bible is such an awesome book when we really dig deep into it. That the beggar is kind of like the summation of all these other attitudes we got from all these other stories. Does that make sense? Like, it's like there have been raw ingredients laid out from all these teachings and these encounters that Jesus has had. And, and in the beggar, they're all kind of lumped together and mixed together, and we get something really, really cool. So, we have the persistent widow. She's a, she's a picture of faith. She's a picture of someone who's persistent and recognizes that if she has faith, that God will do mighty things. So, that's our flower, is faith. I'm not going to pour it out because I don't really want to make a mess. Um, but we have faith in this bowl. Then we have that picture of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you guys remember? We have the, the haughty guy and the humble guy who simply comes just like the beggar and asks for mercy. Nothing more off the bat. He just recognizes that he is low down. He's stuck in a hole. He is destitute. He is hopeless. And he cries out and just says, Lord, have mercy on me. So, just as the Pharisee and the tax collector, we have them asking for mercy. These are our first two ingredients in the bowl. It's kind of a broken up egg. Now, these two are kind of interesting because they're kind of... Luke, Luke's a genius. I'm sorry. He had the Holy Spirit working in like crazy because it, just the interplay that is going on is awesome. And these two stories kind of couple up quite nicely together because we have two stories about people coming to a judge they have a story of a persistent widow going to a judge and, and this tax collector coming to the judge and saying, Lord, just have mercy on me. And there's a beautiful picture, this beautiful two things that come together very beautifully, like these first two ingredients. And it's a picture of faith and persistence, but humility and a, a recognition of a need for mercy from God. That anything that they get is just because God is gracious and merciful. And we'll just give lavishly. So, these are our first two ingredients. Now, the beggar, we've said, persistent and humble. And he asks for mercy. And now when he asks for his sight to be, to be restored to him, here's a neat thing. When Jesus says, your faith has, has healed you, the word that Jesus used well, is, is the word sozo in the Greek. It's also a word for saved. So not only... Is, is in this request for sight, in this request for mercy, as Jesus said, you're healed. But I think he rejoices all the more because not only is he healed, but he's also saved. And as he encounters Jesus, there's this, this dual action of things going on. Jesus doesn't leave him lowly and destitute. And he doesn't just give him a leg up, kind of, oh, I'll kind of half undo your situation by giving you, you know, your sight back. So now you can work and maybe you can work your way out of your situation. No, he doesn't just give him the sight, but he gives him he, he saves him. He gives him new life. It's pretty cool. So, then we hit the children. And Jesus says, anyone who does not receive the, the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. This is our milk. It's amazing because the beggar embodies this childlike attitude. It's, it's a great picture of it. This beggar who is dependent utterly, utterly, on the grace 
that Jesus would show towards him. Just utterly dependent. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to show for himself. He's just asking humbly for mercy. And he comes just like a little child to Jesus. And he asks him, hey, would you forgive me? Would you heal me? And boom, we have our next ingredient that is kind of making up our picture of the beggar. Then next up, we have that rich young ruler again. And he's saying, no one who has left everything for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. And not only does it start with him throwing himself and giving everything to Jesus. Not that he has much, but he still gives everything. But he also then leaves everything and follows Jesus at the end of the story. And we have this beautiful picture of a heart totally given over to following Jesus. Just totally. So that's our butter at the end. And again, we have a kind of another couplet. These two go together as well. We have the children and we have the rich young ruler. They kind of tie together real nice too. This picture of coming humbly and dependently, needing Jesus, needing him for everything. Needing him to start the work, needing him to finish the work. There's a beautiful contrast between these children totally dependent on God for everything. And then this rich young ruler. It's no mistake that they're right next to each other. This ruler who's already figured out what he needs to do regarding the law. And who's already stored up enough money so that he's kind of safe and sound and he's pretty secure. There's a pretty amazing contrast between the utter dependency of these children and these, this utter self, self-sufficiency of this other man, this rich young ruler. And it's incredible that they kind of come together. And so what the beggar embodies here is a desperate need for the mercy of God, the desperate need for, for the forgiveness of Jesus, the desperate need out of his dependency to just come humbly and receive from God after opening himself up fully to the kingdom, just like a little child. It's pretty cool, right, how it kind of is working together. It's neat. So we have these, these keys so far. We have persistence and faith from this first two stories. And then we have humility and dependency. These, these two keys. Now when we think about these types of things in our kind of worldly minds, if I'm honest, when you kind of think of the rich young ruler, you kind of quietly aspire to something like that. To being, doing pretty well in God's eyes, but doing pretty well in the world's eyes at the same time. To be in a place of security, of self-sufficiency. To be in that place where we don't really need God all that much. It's really tempting. We're bombarded by that same message all the time. That, hey, we need to be earning enough. We need to be making enough. Our emotional lives need to be nice and stable. We need to have good character. We need to be just good people all around. And there's this false sense that can grow in our hearts. That we need to be independent somehow. Independent. That we need to be self-sufficient. Self-righteous having our own self-worth. And so it's all the more incredible that the beggar reverses that because what the beggar is seeing is even though he is stuck in this old world order where he's stuck blind and he's stuck shackled by the chains of all the, 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 the things that the world sees as good and the world sees as bad, Jesus has broken into that. And he is saying, you know what? The lowly things of this world are actually, they're foolishness to you guys, but they're the wisdom of God. Because when you're dependent on God and when you need him, that's when I'll raise you up. When you're low down, I will exalt you, as it says right there. 
Because what is happening in Jesus is he's breaking in with a new kingdom. There is a new order being established on the earth that is saying, hey, the old stuff, the old stuff that you aspire to, the old stuff that has had all the power of this age, hey, it is coming tumbling down. And the way into the new age is through death and through resurrection, through dependency, through perseverance, through humility, and through faith in Jesus. It's pretty cool, isn't it, what God's doing here? So I'm going to throw our ball to the side so I can read my notes. But it is pretty, it's pretty awesome. There is a new order coming that this blind man, even though he can't see the world around him, he catches it. He sees it. He's heard about Jesus. And he jumps full force into it, which is just fantastic. And finally, this kind of reaches its summation in how the disciples view the death of Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? For this new world order to to really come into being, for this new kingdom of heaven to really come down onto this earth, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to be given over to the Gentiles. And I'm going to have to be put to death on a cross, but raised again in three days. And because they're stuck in that old way of thinking, because they're stuck with their old minds that they just haven't given over to Jesus fully, they don't see it. They don't see that these things must happen to the Messiah. But you contrast to the beggar who is blind physically. He sees these things. How do we know that he sees these things? Because he says, Jesus, son of David. Jesus is introduced to him as, the, as, the, as Jesus of Nazareth. But he knows about Jesus. He knows who he is. And he recognizes that he is the Messiah. He recognizes that the only way I'm going to be saved is by Jesus, the son of David, the roy- of the royal line that is promised and prophesied about and foretold who will come and who will save his people from their sins. He recognizes that. That's how he addresses Jesus. He's coming full force with faith, but the disciples don't see it at all. And what we see is even though these guys are kind of the in crowd, the guys who are close to Jesus, the guys who have heard all the teaching, the guys who have even had extra teaching on the side, because they're not embodying quite these attitudes, these dispositions, they're missing it. And not only are they missing it, but they are so often in all these pictures standing in the way of God doing something. So when it comes to the little children, they're keeping them away. They're saying, hey, you know what? Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't, isn't concerned about these things. So when it comes to the rich young ruler, after Jesus passes a judgment, they get insecure and they're saying, hey, God, um, we, we left a load of stuff. Are, are we cool with you? Because if it's hard for him, how are we going to make it? And he affirms them, fortunately, for them. And then when it comes to the beggar himself, they're the ones that stand up and say, sit back down, be quiet, go away. Jesus isn't concerned with you. Do you see? They're, they're spiritually blind because they're missing out on some of these things that would give them a profound openness to what God would do in that moment. They're thinking with old minds when Jesus is calling forth a new mindedness in the new kingdom of heaven. Throughout the the gospel of Luke, we just see Jesus flipping everything upside down. He's just turning everything upside down, everything on its head in the most beautiful way. And people are missing it. And this is an incredible picture of that. 
perhaps these disciples need to learn a little from the beggar. And perhaps we need to learn a little from this beggar too. Reading it, I was really just challenged afresh. Like, man, do I really view myself as anywhere near a beggar when it comes to God? Do I really feel like Jesus is worth it so much that when I get my one shot at him, I would scream out of the top of my lungs, not once but twice, be willing to make an utter fool of myself, jump outside of social norms when I should be kind of on the margins and trying to thrust myself into the middle of things, just to get an encounter with Jesus? Would I be humble enough to just cry out for mercy to God like that? Would I have enough faith that would say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm not just going to ask for the little things that you got to offer, but I'm going to ask for everything. I'm going to ask for my sight back and for you to save me. I mean, it's incredible. And these dispositions that we're hearing about, perseverance and faith, humility and dependence on God, they are keys for us to open ourselves up to the power of the gospel coming in our own hearts. So often, we can get really tempted to pigeonhole God, to to hold him back, to put him in our boxes, right? So God can only do this much, and maybe I have all these other things on the side, but let's be honest, God's probably not going to do that because, you know, I've been trying for ages to fix this part of me. I can't, so what can God do about it? Do you know those things? I've had those things in my heart where I've just been like, They're just going to have to persist like weeds in the back of the yard. I'll keep trying to weed whack them, but beyond that, it's not like they're ever going to be gone. Now, are we willing to be like the beggar and lay it all on the line? Are we pigeonholing God? Are we shrinking him down, narrowing him down, so that we're not looking at him with that posture of faith that unlocks a world of possibilities in the new kingdom of heaven? Or are we trying to confine God into our own kingdom? where we're king and we just try to get him to do our bidding every now and again because maybe he'll get us through the next week. Maybe he'll give us enough strength for this next situation. And maybe he'll make my life okay and safe. But are we willing to to be unsafe? Are we willing to throw ourselves out on the line for him? One of the things that I've been struck by recently, I think we talked about this a little bit last time when I was here, is that God doesn't just call us to be his subjects. He doesn't just call us to be his people and he's kind of floating off over here and he just kind of zaps every now and again and you know we may ask for stuff and maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. God is, a, God is a God who, when he calls us out, even from the very beginning in Adam, when he calls out humanity and creates us, he creates us for participation with him. He creates us in such a manner that he wants us to be co-laborers with him in the garden. That he wants us to be co-laborers with Christ now in what he wants to do on this earth. It's the most profound thing. And this is why faith is so important because it's that part of us that is open to God doing something. That is open to the possibility of God working with us for his purposes, not ours. And doing something great. And faith is a tricky thing because sometimes we try and force faith because we want more from God. And it doesn't really work that way. And sometimes we feel guilty like we should have more faith and just kind of, again, force it. And it doesn't really work that way. Faith is a gift. 
And the gift comes when we open ourselves up humbly to God and let Him reveal Himself to us, reveal His purposes to us, reveal His plans and His promises and His hopes for us. And when we see these things, when we see Him, that He is the Messiah, the one above us, the one who can do anything, when we see those things, Faith is suddenly alive in our hearts. When we recognize this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, the son of David. This is Jesus, the hope of the world. This is Jesus who was with God from the very beginning creating the universe. Who is God himself poured out for us. When we recognize this, faith comes alive in our hearts. And a world of possibilities is awoken to us. And we can go from just being the kind of beggar that might say, Lord, you know what? Just give me bread just so maybe I can survive. To a beggar who throws himself down at the feet of Jesus and asks for everything because he knows what God can give him and what God can do for him. It's powerful. And so often, I know in my heart, I settle. Sometimes I might catch a glimpse of Jesus, but it's kind of scary because I know it's going to, require something of me. So I just ask for the coin. I just ask for the scrap of bread. God's got so much more for us. I feel like one of the words that God has got for us as a, as a church today is, are we going to settle? Are we going to let our day-to-day our pulls and pressures and pushes of, of the world, the cares of the world, Distract us from who, oh sorry, distract us from who God really is. Distract us from what God would really want to do in us. Distract us from how the full power, the full inheritance of God is available to us in our situations, in our circumstances. Are we going to do that, Mercy Hill Church? Are we going to sit back when God has laid himself out completely for us? Completely for us in the cross and just say, Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? I'll take what, what's good for me, but let me just pick and choose through this thing. Or are we going to be a people who is so given, so given over to Jesus that we start to look and act and smell like him, that we start to bleed with him, and we start to participate in what he would do with us and in us and through us? How open to God are we? How willing are we to ask God for the difficult things? See, the thing is, it's, it's, God isn't limited to our asking, which is a really beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. God, God doesn't just, he knows, I love the, the, the phrase in the Psalms, he knows that we're dust. He knows that we're fickle, that we're stupid, that we're short-sighted, that we can't see around the next corner. And he always... He gives more than we ask for. I love how in this passage, the beggar just asks for his sight, and he gives him new life as well, just as we said before. It's beautiful. How even though we knew we needed saving as, as as mankind itself, and even though people were crying out for God to intervene and do something, we had no idea. We even can't fathom it now that God would send himself, that God would send his son, not just to kind of, wishy-washy float over us or something or be repulsed by us but to become one of us to be fully God and fully man walking among us to take on flesh to fight sin to stare it in the face to stare down the devil himself 
And to go up to the cross, to be enthroned on the cross with nails holding him in place, bleeding and broken. And for a crown of thorns to be coronated on his head. To be so poured out for us that he wouldn't just beat sin, but he would beat death and obliterate, obliterate our position of lowliness and unrighteousness. And instead raise us up with full righteousness, with the full inheritance of God at our disposal. I mean, God doesn't give how we give. God doesn't give in just limited forms. He gives all of himself to us. And that's the challenge. We need to be like the beggar, like the blind beggar, seeing what God has given and recognizing that God has given it all. And we most certainly must give it all in response to that. Give it all. There's no, we can't afford to be stuck in the half measures. We can't afford to be going through our life with, with duct tape and marking off the parts of the house that God can be in and the p- parts of the house that we want to kind of keep for ourselves. We can't keep the spare room full of junk. We can't be living in narrow-mindedness. God is calling us out. He has called each one of us out here today into a beautiful, full, powerful world, new life in Him where we get to participate with him once again. To not just see ourselves renewed, but to see Munster, Indiana renewed. To see Northwest Indiana renewed. To see the kingdom of heaven come in our midst. I mean, it's incredible. It is incredible. Just the mustard seeds of the kingdom that God plants in this little story, just, just exploding before us. There's a big tree. I mean, just amazing. Just amazing. And here's the beautiful part. We can be caught up in naysaying. We can be caught up in each other's expectations and, and, and in, in each other's judgments. And, and we could get caught up by the disciples who are saying, no, you know what? You're just a beggar. You sit right here. You stay out the way. Jesus doesn't want to deal with you. We could get caught up with that. We could get held back. But you know what? When our hearts become alive in faith because they've seen who Jesus is, because they've seen what Jesus has done, and, and, and when, when we're responding, and when we say, no, I'm going to shout all the louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Give me my sight. When we do that, it's infectious. It's incredible because... The disciples throughout this whole passage have been kind of fighting on the wrong side. And this beautiful picture of all these pieces coming together in this beggar and his beautiful response to Jesus. It's infectious. And it infects the disciples in the most beautiful way. And all those following Jesus erupt in praise and thanksgiving. Just like that. They turn on a di- They do it like a 180. In like zero seconds. It's incredible. Their hearts are changed immediately when they see what God has done. It's a repentance for them because their hearts go from, no God, you're stuck back here, you're limited, to, wow, look what God is doing. Just like that. And when we step out in faith, when we have faith and we dare to come into the throne room of grace, humble, dependent on God, persevering and saying, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. 
It's infectious. It spreads like wildfire. The praise of it is tangible. It's thick. It's, it's concrete. It's real right in front of you. It's, it's in your face. And you can't help but respond to God afresh. It's awesome. It is really cool. And I feel like one of the other questions that God wants to ask us this morning is who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? Say, Lord, I see who you are once again. I see what you've done for me, Lord. I want to take that step and cry out for mercy again. Lord, this part of my life is blind. It's sick. It's lame. It's dead. Lord, I need you to bring new life to me. Who's, who's going to jump first? I'm reminded of, there was this time, I, for a long time I was kind of shy. I'd want to see people do, it, do stuff before me. But there was a time when I decided, you know what? Forget about it. I'm just going to start going first with things. It was great fun. There's so much more adventuring going first. I remember in Bible college, there was this, we were by the coast, and there was this really cool cliff jump that you could do. It's probably about, I don't know, it was at least probably a 50-foot jump, kind of this rock into this like deep pool. It was a really cool place, just kind of tucked in the coast. And I did, everyone was kind of like, oh, who's going to go first? And so I just thought, you know what? This is going to be fun. And before you knew it, everyone else was in the water. And there was another time along that same coast where, you know what? Like you hear about those like caves that you have to swim underwater to get into. And then you kind of have the opening and stuff. I was just reminded the other day, I forgot I did that and I went first. That surprised me a little bit. But I did. And I remember diving in there. I remember being afraid. I remember thinking, man, this thing better come up soon because I'm needing air, you know. But it was okay. And I was able to shout everyone else through because it was awesome. It was exhilarating. There was something powerful in just, just leaping, just going for it, just not holding back, not, not being held back by all these constraints and fears and worries, but just say, you know what? God is calling me forward. I'm going to go. It's like that. Who will go for us? It's incredible to just jump in fully. I feel like God is calling us once again to forget all our stuff, to forget the cares of the world, and to be rem- remind ourselves afresh who Jesus is, who God is, who he's called us to be, who he says we are, and to just throw ourselves at his mercies again. Who knows what he would do? I wonder if the beggar was really expecting the whole time to ask for his sight. Maybe he was. Maybe he was struck as he dared to take the step that maybe this was his chance to ask for healing for his eyes. Who knows? But somewhere in there, God impressioned on his heart that he could do it today. There's something profound in taking the step, and sometimes God will put the next step right in front of us when we haven't even anticipated it. it does that make sense? No, I didn't articulate that as clearly as I hoped. But God is with us. God is not a God who is far off. God is a God who participates with us. He walks with us. He has poured out His Holy Spirit on us. So His very presence, all of God is living right in here right now. It's a miracle. And He just wants us to walk with Him and take these steps forward. And it can be powerful. The beauty is, the beauty is, that it's all by grace. That the beginning is by grace, 
that the middle is by grace, that the end is by grace. The beauty is, is that even if we've been struggling with these attitudes in our hearts, struggling to come to God humbly, in faith, persevering, if we've been struggling with these things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because God has started this work. God will work in the middle and God will bring it to completion. He did it on the cross. He will do it in your life too. And he will lead you, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, into green pastures. He will set a table before your enemies, even in the midst of those dry times. Because God is with you. And God, it's all God anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So if you haven't been doing these things so far, it doesn't matter. Start doing them today. Open yourself up to what God would do in your heart. Say, Lord, I want to open myself up to your grace, to your doing this afresh and see what his power would do just see see the gospel is awesome it's amazing how even before the cross has happened there's beautiful fruit from the cross popping up in this in this story of the beggar already it's not even happened yet we see the cross transforming lives how much more is the people of god today mercy hill church renewed by the blood of jesus covered by it filled with the Spirit, how much more will that gospel, that cross, transform us today and tomorrow and from one degree of glory to the next until we can stand perfect and righteous in the presence of God? Amen? Let me just end by laying down a challenge. How, how far into this new kingdom are you? How much of your mind has been renewed and restored and given over to the new values of this kingdom. It's not about pursuing greatness, but it's about coming in humbly and being exalted and raised up. Where's your heart at today? Are you open to what God might do in you, even this morning? Are you blind? And Jesus is inviting you up and saying, I want to give you new eyes today. Are you sick? Do you need a touch from God this morning? Because we have a king right here who's right in this room. He is present with us right now. Jesus promised that he would be with us to the very end. He promised that he would be with us. Even if two of us are together, he's right there with us. Right there. And, and he's not being kind of airy-fairy in kind of in an allegorical sense. It's kind of like, no, he is with us. He is with us. And he's inviting us to respond to that. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is present in this building this morning. It's awesome. It's awesome. So please, before you leave, let's just take a second right now. Examine your heart. Say, Lord, maybe I need a fresh revelation of who you are, of what you've done for me. Open my eyes. Give me faith. Lord, maybe I need your mercy this morning. Maybe I'm like that tax collector or like that beggar who just needs your mercy. Just cry out and say, even if it's for the first time, Jesus, I need you in my life. I am broken and I'm messed up and I need you to come in and give me fresh life. Maybe you need a touch from God this morning. Just open, open yourself up to the fact that if you come to him humbly, he's faithful and he will meet you right where you are. Let's just take a minute to pause and then...
I'm going to pray. before we pray um, Johnny's just reminded me that we're taking communion this morning and there's almost no better picture of what God has done there is no better picture of what God has done than taking the bread and the cup representative of the body and the very blood of Jesus poured out for us and so I want to just invite the ushers up now just to pass out the elements we're going to take communion together I think this would be a nice way to wrap us up and then we'll pray and just invite God to do a fresh work in us this morning. So, ushers, it would be a delight if you would pass that out right now. You know what? While they pass it out, I'm going to pray and then we'll take it together at the end. So, feel free, ushers, to, uh, to deliver the goods. Thanks, guys. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you laid down all of yourself for us. That Jesus, you the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would come to us, Lord, and choose to be enthroned on that cross. Choose to be coronated with a crown of thorns, Lord, for us. Lord, that you would pour out your whole, your whole life for us, Jesus. Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that as we take the bread and take the, the cup, Lord Jesus, that you would make yourself present to us again. Lord, that you reveal yourself to us in a powerful way again today. Lord Jesus, that you would do a fresh work in our life. Lord, give us the gift of faith this morning. Give us the humility to ask for your mercy, Lord. Fill us up, renew us, restore us. Give us fresh hope, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.